highly coveted technical co-founder. Today on Founder Journeys, we've got uh, Ian McKinnon, CTO and co-founder of Later.com. We're going to dive into his experiences and the different approaches that he takes to building a B2C company versus a B2B company. We'll talk about work-life balance and what it's like building one of the fastest growing social media digital marketing companies today in Later.com. Three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Founder Journeys. Really excited, as I say every week or every episode, I'm really excited because uh, the people that are on this series are people that I really look up to and really appreciate and admire. Today is uh, uh, one of those people, Ian McKinnon. Ian is a founder, multiple startups. I met him back in 2012 when he was uh, working with his first startup, Placeling at uh, Grow Labs, which is an accelerator here in Vancouver. Uh, which was co-located with Launch Academy. And so I grew to really appreciate Ian as a technical founder, as uh, you probably have heard multiple times. Every startup founder needs to have a technical co-founder or somebody that can come in and really uh, understand how to build a product. Ian's just that type of guy. He, he really understands the technical side of the companies, but he has grown to become a full-rounded entrepreneur and uh, really does understand the other aspects of um, being an entrepreneur and, and building a startup. The latest one is exploding. Uh, it's, it's just on wildfire later.com. It's doing extremely well. Full caveat, I am an investor. I, I've uh, been following the journey of these entrepreneurs that started later since day one in their previous startups. And then I saw firsthand how they built later. And I knew it was something that I want to get behind and support. I don't really do that very often with Launch Academy uh, companies, but uh, later was an exception. And I'm so happy that I did because it is really fit along the lines of what I like to invest in and what I believe in, in terms of visual media and, and social media. And later is doing extremely well. And we're lucky to have one of the co-founders, Ian McKinnon on today. Ian, welcome to the uh, show. And please let us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me, Ray. Um, like you said, I'm the technical co-founder and current CTO of later.com. Um, before that, I had a bunch of other startups that got increasingly less crappy as time went on. <laughs> uh, before that, I, you know, um, in another life, I was a student at Waterloo and did my internships at Google. And then I moved out to Vancouver and a few after working a few jobs, I started creating my own companies. Like, how did you get to where you are today? What are some of the obstacles that you had to overcome? Um, obviously, some great opportunities working at a company like Google and learning, but um, you made the switch to a startup very early and your own startup for that matter, not working at a, uh, another person's startup is your own. Yeah, I think I always kind of knew that I wanted to do startups. I started university right around the time of the dot-com crash. So that meant when I was in high school, I saw all of these techie people getting, you know, creating these amazing companies and getting super wealthy and then losing it all in the dot-com crash. But what I kind of knew is like, well, I still wanted to do computer science. So when I started on the crash, it was a very weird time to start um, learning how to program because everyone was worried that, you know, these jobs wouldn't be around. There's a lot of fear and I didn't know what else I would do. So I still did it. And it turns out that's amazing because it's crazy to bet against the future, you know, tech being the future. Um, I always knew I wanted to do startups. I just had no freaking idea how to even start. 
um, like, you know, when you're 20 years old and you're learning all about um, compilers and programming, that's great. But no one really tells you, well, here's how you actually go and create a product and take it to market. Uh, and when I interned at Google, all I could think about is how there were people who would literally kill to have the job that I had. And all I could think about was that this company is not mine and I really wanted to create my own. So if I was at the pinnacle of other places that you could work and all I was thinking about was startups, I just knew it was something that I had to do. And my journey was actually a very non-linear one to startups because after school, I wasn't really sure how to do it, what to do. I ended up going to grad school for two years, which was great. But that's a very non-standard approach for someone who wanted to go and create companies because as much as people, you know, I like the idea of startups, the idea of, you know, staying in academia was pretty sweet too, especially when you're 24 and don't have a clear idea of what you want to do. And you also learn that other, a lot of people do create companies out of grad school by monetizing their research. That's not what happened with me. Then I had to go work a real job at another startup out here in Vancouver. But eventually, once Grow Lab came around, it kind of gave me a framework in order to start creating my own companies. But it was a long time. I didn't start my first company until I was 29. And, you know, they have this kind of myth of the right out of school person. Very rarely do you get to do that, especially if you don't come from money where you can kind of just not take a salary for right out of school and have someone finance it for you. If you don't have that you still have this whole issue of how are you going to pay rent so once you kind of figure that out and you know clear out any student debt it can take some time and that's okay yeah, that's um, one of the biggest fallacies is, is that a lot of people do assume uh you need to be uh really young and and dedicating 20 hours a day living off ramen to to build your startup yeah. but uh, the reality is a lot of the ones that are successful are entrepreneurs that are working on their second or third startup or entrepreneurs that have come out of the workforce and, and they, they do have a nest egg that they can rely on, but uh, they've got real life experience that they can apply to their business because it's not just about having a cool idea for an app. You have to execute. And you also have to be exposed to problems that people will pay money to solve. And when you're a student, your whole life is or at least it was going out to bars, you know, meeting people, you know, worrying about class. But one of the things I always, whenever I give a talk to students, I say, don't make a product that students would care about because you're kind of the worst customers. You don't pay for anything. You're cheap as anything. You have like no disposable income. And the worst part about students is that you have a 25% turnover rate in post-secondary every year as people graduate out. So the problems that you have of a student are just not that interesting. And there's a whole world of other problems out there that businesses have that once you get exposed to, you can realize that, oh, I don't have to make some huge piece of software that millions of people use. Having something that a few thousands of people are really excited about is often a better way to create a startup. Also, somebody that's building a product that you're going to sell for 99 cents versus a product that you're going to sell for $1,000 very, very different business models, but also the, the path to success is going to be very different. And the 99 cents, you need to have a, a huge, huge um, volume of customers uh, reusing or subscribing to your product and using it on a regular basis to, to justify um, staying in business and, and continue to build the business. 
And you'd also be shocked at how many businesses will pay $1,000 for something you don't think is that technically interesting. That is the one thing I have encountered over and over again as I'm now buying software and I see what people are charging me for something I think I could write in a weekend. But, you know, the reality is I'm not going to. I'm just going to put it on the company credit card. And I think when you're a student, you just don't have that idea that for businesses, certain amounts of money, which are just extreme to you, are nothing. You know, if you're charging less than $5,000 a year for something, most businesses are just going to put on their credit card and not even think about it. Yeah, definitely. And that's actually something I want to ask you about. Like when we talk about co-founders and building startups, there's more than probably two to one ratio of of business co-founders to technical co-founders. And so you being the technical co-founder, having multiple startups, what was your journey like in terms of finding and matching up with a business co-founder because most of our audience probably is business co-founders that are out looking for technical for you from the technical perspective how did you determine who you want to work with and, and um, what type of products you wanted to build together i think one of the things i've always kind of fought against is the idea that technical founders can't be idea people you know when it comes down to it we have ideas just as well um, mm-hmm. but i think when you're looking for a non-technical founder to partner with you're always looking for someone who has some domain knowledge of whatever you're building. Um, That's always the optimal consideration is that if they know about this problem a particular industry has that you just aren't exposed to, but they know that problem really well, they can go out there and can sell and can network. That's what you're looking for. Uh, My first uh, co-founder with Placeling, which was a social local mobile app which turns out to be a glorified bar finder in the end um which were all the rage back in 2012 yeah Um, hey it worked for us we were using it (laughs) yeah i mean i liked it but um, i learned a lot from it but my co-founder um lindsey he was um had kind of a similar on paper we looked really good as startup founders he had done his mba at INSEAD. he had worked at the boston consulting group I was a software developer who from Waterloo who had interned at Google. Like on paper, we were just the ultimate pair. Um, but the problem that we were solving wasn't one that people cared deeply enough in order to really get traction with. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, again, one know, of those ones that we just talked about where your, your price point was more consumer-based. And so you had to have a, a large volume of users to justify ongoing business yeah and then before you can even think about being ad driven you have to have a huge volume uh if you're a consumer you consumer is just a tough tough play and the thing is is that the really popular companies tend to be consumer like everyone wants to create the next snap the next facebook um, but there's a lot of those that get no traction because you have to make something that a lot of people like and consumers tend to be very fickle Whereas if you go to a business and say, hey, I have a piece of software that will save you a certain amount of money per year, they almost have to buy it because they are so relentless in in terms of cost cutting and optimization that if you make business a slightly bit more efficient, they're going to have to buy whatever you're selling. Whereas consumers can be fickle and flaky, might use it, might see some use, might not. It's a much harder game to pin down. Yeah, definitely. And and so as you've gone through various startups, you, your current one is, is massively successful and 
Um, you are a very senior position, CTO, a lot of responsibilities, but you also just recently had a baby. And um, yeah. I know you do a lot of mentoring in the community. You also uh, help teach at Lighthouse Labs, which is a coding school here uh, across Canada. How do you balance everything? What's work-life balance for you as a founder? Well, I didn't do all those things at one time for starters. <laughs> cause, um, I, yeah, so I was an instructor at Lighthouse Labs uh, because I think uh, instruct, teaching more people to be developers is the solution to how do I find a technical co-founder? Um, there just is always going to need to be more technical talent. And as much as I went through a very traditional background of started coding when I was 15 and went to a computer science program, not everyone needs to be that. Most of the developing we do day in and day out doesn't involve deeper knowledge of compilers and machine learning. It's very useful to have those in certain verticals. Um, but it was one of my ways of giving back to the Vancouver tech community was um, being an instructor at Lighthouse Labs. And I had to stop when later started getting bigger. And, you know, once you've taken an investment, you can't really have side hustle. Uh, mm -hmm. So Definitely. Um, investors don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. So it was right around the time that our seed round closed. And once your check to us cleared, uh, that was a time that I told Lighthouse, OK, I've got to go all in on this because, you know, and also competition was heating up. When it, you have something that's moving, other businesses are going to take notice. So that was the time when, okay, we have to be all in on this and really make a go of it. Um, as for mentorship, one of the nice things about COVID is made very easy to mentor people without any travel time. And one of the things I really hope that we get used to is the idea of these kind of Zoom meetings to get things done. Because for someone who has a baby like me, uh, it's just really easier to kind of pop into another room, spend an hour having a Zoom conversation with someone than going out to coffee. We do that thing of whose turn is going to pay and all this as if my time is, you know, uh, really, you know, the coffee kind of offsets my time. You know, it's uh, you know, just a lot easier to kind of do things over Zoom. So it's really helpful to kind of talk to people that way. And it just makes it a little easier because I can babysit the kid while I'm... I shouldn't say babysit my own son. Um, <laughs> parents. It makes it parents really... Child. Yeah, it's easy well. to be a parent. I am a co-parent of this uh, little one. It is a lot easier to um, multitask these things if, mm -hmm. you know, I just have to be there in case of fire while I'm, you know, helping some other company or doing my own thing. Um, yeah. So well, there these are, are also... Some benefits in COVID. Like you said, these are, these are um, not your core business like you, you mm -hmm. you've got later but you're trying to help other entrepreneurs you're trying to um give back to the community but also um enrich yourself by helping others and, and i know personally like i learn vicariously through others while i'm mentoring like i always say if in a mentoring relationship i should be learning more than i'm giving out because um that's why it's worth yeah. my time to do so and um when you when you have to do these in person well that's not just that 30 minutes but it's also that transition time from weaning off of what you're doing to traveling to wherever you need to go traveling back yeah. and then getting ramped back up to do something whereas the zoom meetings and and um being able to be flexible with this just makes it so much easier um to do those side things because i can do it from home i don't have to make sure my wife doesn't have anything on the calendar it just it integrates so much easier into other things. And actually, I got a lot of benefit out of being a Lighthouse Labs instructor. Um, because if you're an instructor or a TA for a year, it really supercharges your network because you're meeting, 
you know, 20 new software developers every couple of months, do that for a year. And then once they all graduate and they've been out in the real world for a few years, you now have this network of software developers that is, you know, that is so much bigger mm-hmm. than you'd ever get by working at a local company. So it was just a you know super way of supercharging my network was by being a TA and instructor at a, um, a coding boot camp. Yeah, and then when you do have a little bit of legacy in your company, there there are certain uh, tech stacks and and systems and processes that you uh, have ingrained into your business. But teaching and and mentoring and uh, talking to other startups gives you an opportunity to learn vicariously through them of of new tech stacks or new ways of doing things that mm-hmm. you can't implement in your business, but you as a as a technical person or even as an educated person want to stay on top of uh, that's a great way to do that also teaching becomes important because for every non-standard tech stack we use every new employee has to learn it so the ability to onboard new people in teaching are very similar and it's always good to be if you know because i feel like we're the only company in vancouver that uses ember js rather than react so but i don't higher based on that i just train people on ember and after two weeks they're fine yeah so as long as you have within your company that culture of up leveling training in people it's always a good skill to have that's actually a, a good segue into another topic that i want to talk about really quickly is you guys are based in vancouver and you have a very large team that's remote around the world but you didn't fall in line with the whole mantra of you have to be in Silicon Valley. You have to move to Silicon Valley. You guys were successful building a company out of Vancouver. Granted, you do have a workforce mm-hmm. in London and Toronto, and um, I think you do have some people in, in the Bay Area as well, but you didn't have to headquarter out of the Bay Area. What's that like as a founder pushing against that mantra of you have to be in the Bay Area? One of the things that has really changed are about a couple of years before we started raising is that American investors got very comfortable with the idea of investing in Canadian startups. Uh, I actually think you're our only Canadian investor that we have on our cap table. Um, Most of our money came from the Valley. They're in, again, they're in a relentless pursuit of returns. And if they can get higher returns outside of the Valley, they will. There is a lot happening in the Valley, but by the nature of what we do, social media management, um, there's social media managers everywhere. There was nothing special about the Valley aside from Twitter and Facebook being headquartered there. Uh, but that really doesn't mean much for what we do. Um, we didn't really, we could be headquartered anywhere for what we do. It just, Vancouver's a great place and has a history of making social media management companies. And you guys are now probably one of the top dogs in the industry and just happen to be headquartered. Yeah, depending how you count. Yeah. <laughs> What does, what does the get shit done attitude mean to you? That's obviously been the mantra at Launch Academy and you were there virtually from day one. And so you've seen the GSD, the get shit done attitude grow and, and evolve into our culture. What does it mean to you? Get shit done to me means finding a way to unblock yourself. There's always going to be hurdles. There's always going to be some challenges. And get shit done is a way of either getting through that obstacle through sheer grinding it out to finding some clever solution around it or finding some way of making do without and I think a lot of people realize they might see some kind of challenge and it just might seem so insurmountable that they don't realize that there might be other ways of doing it or just not doing it at all just always kind of moving forward and 
finding some way of just pushing forward however you can and not letting something block or be depend waiting for someone else to unblock something for you yeah and you guys definitely live and breathe that you of all people i've seen <laughs> overcome a lot of challenges uh, over the years yeah it gets interesting as the company gets bigger because that hacker ethos doesn't scale too well as the company gets bigger and now we have to worry about software development processes but early on it's all you have to do yeah. Well, I remember the, the challenges you guys had at Placeling as a B2C company and then Flock and Swarm trying to introduce a whole new concept of interactivity and, and real world environments. And then now we'll later. Um, Ian, this is an awesome, awesome conversation. I want to kind of wrap it up with um, uh, two specific um, questions for you. The first one is, is you as a founder, what is a tool or an app that you have found to be instrumental in your career? Whether it's a personal side of things or in the work life, what, what is something that is, is uh, indispensable for you? On the work side, it's kind of lame, but Slack. Um, I know that it's employee communication, mm-hmm. but all the integrations, all of my software systems, all the notifications are coming through Slack. On the work side, that's just how I know about what's going on with our system, with our customers, with other employees. That's the command and control center for later engineering. Uh, On the personal side, um, there's an app I like called Streaks, which is uh, an app where you track something that you do every single day. So if you say, I want to walk at least 30 minutes a day, you just tap that and it tells you how many days in a row you've done something. So on the personal on the work side, I try to fix at least one bug a day. On the uh, personal side, I'm trying to you know, did you have any bad sugars today? Like okay, it's a negative one. You know, try to go as many days without. You know, maybe have some that are like okay, don't drink today. You know, just yeah. make sure to see how long you can get with. Well, you know, maybe you can have one. It's no big. You know, don't, so it's have, like don't personal, have more than one. Personal accountability. Personal. Um, yeah, and you see how many days in a row you can do something, and then you try and, you know, because the idea that you see um, that you've done something positive a number of days in a row, you don't want to mm-hmm. cheat and then not do it because then you ruin your streak. And on the pro- professional side, a lot of those are like write a piece of documentation, which is, you know, a thing you have to do as the company gets bigger. Yeah, and that personal accountability and, and um, uh, self discipline is, is really important as founders your days can get away from you and, and your weeks can get away from you. And especially when you're faced with adversity and challenges, it becomes difficult to have, uh, I guess, the, the proper balance in your life. And so I definitely see how those type of apps are valuable if, if you are able to put yourself in a mindset where you want to be self-disciplined and, and hold yourself accountable for what you should be doing. And it's also important for people like me at our stage to maintain some connection to our customers. So one of mine is actually post something on social media because I can get in my own head down workspace. I forget that ultimately it's a social media management company and I need to have some idea of what social media looks like. Um, Another one that I have is answering a couple customer support ticket every day. That is just something, you know, you really, we have so many support people, but one of the things we do at later is everyone has to do a customer support shift um, at least once a month. I try and do at least one ticket once a day just to have that connection to our customer and realize that there's real people using our software for their jobs. Yeah, that's just, that's truly invaluable because uh, there's certain things that will just get buried or not surface to you 
um, to the staff because they don't think it's important or they don't want to burden you. But at the end of the day, you really want, want to know those type of things because that's how you mold and shape what the future of the company will look like. Yeah, it's ultimately you have to solve your customers' problems if there's one big mm-hmm. kind of takeaway. Awesome. Ian, you're, you've been really generous with your time with us today and, and hopefully our audience appreciates it. I want to close out with a call to action. What's your call to action? What can our audience do for you? Uh, we are hiring for a whole bunch of roles. You can go to later.com slash careers. Uh, of course, if you're an entrepreneur, go and create your company. But if you're not, uh, go look at later.com careers. We are hiring constantly. Well, even as an entrepreneur, um, learning from a startup that's on fire is, is really valuable and getting in there and seeing how things are really done. And, and um, it, it's, it's a great life lesson learned, like get in there and work for uh, startups that uh, are on fire and hopefully you can learn what you can apply back to your own business. So, yeah, uh, really appreciate you taking the time today and um, the insight especially from a technical co-founder is something that we really value and uh, hopefully our audience uh, found it valuable as well thanks Ian all right thanks Ray thanks for having me Ray Launch Ventures is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs if you enjoyed today's episode of Founder Journey please share this with your friends family and other entrepreneurs if you're ready to start your own entrepreneurial journey and would like some guidance, please head to launchacademy.ca and check out our entrepreneurship course and other online resources like our Launchpad for virtual incubation and mentorship.